Hi, everyone. I'm Adam Johnson. I'm a dad and a rare disease patient advocate, a self-proclaimed dadvocate. From the onset of symptoms and even after an eventual diagnosis, the isolation was almost as excruciating as the symptoms themselves. I felt so alone in so many ways. One of the most prominent ways in particular was as a parent. I knew I couldn't be the only person with a rare disease who was also trying to raise children, but it sure felt like I was. As I've learned, when there's not a specific community you're looking for, one that you need, sometimes you just have to make it yourself. It's taken a while, but I finally decided to do just that. And here we are. This is Parents is Rare, a series brought to you by Energy in Action. Living life as a parent with a rare disease can be quite paradoxical. We laugh and cry, we're vulnerable and scared, we're brave and afraid, all at the same time. Parents is Rare is a community where parents like me, who have a rare disease or chronic illness, can connect, share, support, and be supported. Hi everyone, welcome back to Parents is Rare. Normally this is where I would introduce our guest, have them say a little bit about themselves, and talk about our topic for the day. However, today, I'm the host and the guest, so consider yourselves forewarned. And to move forward with an introduction, I suppose I'll quote Austin Powers and say, allow myself to introduce myself. As you might know, my name's Adam Johnson. As you might not know, I've typically been pretty quiet when it comes to talking about myself. That's been the case all of my life, really, except for in the last year or so. Prior to that, though, Boy, I I didn't like to talk much about myself at all. In the short time frame, I went from experiencing symptoms to getting my diagnosis. That was especially the case. And also since that time, my story has taken previously unfathomable turns. My world's been turned upside down. See, I went from being what I thought was a healthy 35-year-old with an exciting path ahead of me to a 35-year-old with a rare disease that leaves me wondering what could have been. It's not pretty, it's not perfect, and it's way more real than I want it to be, but it is my story, and it's something that I'll always have. So I finally got on board with owning my story, which isn't over. Now, when I was going through the symptoms and the diagnostic odyssey, There were times when I thought my story might be over. I did have one person who looked at me directly after hearing about it and said, this isn't the last we've heard of Adam Johnson. And I quite frankly did not believe that person at the time. But maybe they were right. And in fact, now I'd like to add to my story. And that's what I've chosen to do. By combining something that I know I love, being a dad, with something that I thought that I would love, and now I'm finding that I do love, and that's being an advocate for rare disease. And that's how my whole advocacy journey started, really. I'm a self-proclaimed advocate who was really grappling with when and how and if to add my name to the title of dadvocate. And it was quite a journey to get to that point. At the point when I finally decided to jump into the pool, I decided to do it in style. And this is where, in some of my blog posts before, I've wrote about, if you don't want to get wet, get out of the splash zone. And I was imagining the scene from the movie uh, that I used to watch all the time when I was a kid. The scene from the movie The Sandlot, one of my childhood favorites. It's where Ham, (laughs) the catcher, Ham, goes and jumps into the pool and does a cannonball and splashes everybody that's sitting there watching. So for me, the jumping into 
the pool was figuring out how to make the leap into the land of social media vulnerability. Now, throughout my career in the world of education, and I did everything from pre-K through grad school and professional development where I was teaching teachers, I avoided social media at all costs. I didn't like the idea of this virtual sponge soaking up my time, not to mention the never-ending pit of potential despair and negativity creeping in. That's, that's what I thought it was. Now that I'm a little more experienced, I can definitely see those aspects, but I'm trying to bring a different spin to it. Another part of, of my hesitance was that I didn't want to be vulnerable in terms of sharing some of my thoughts, my ideas, feelings, emotions, comments, you know, beliefs in, in a public setting. And if I'm being completely upfront, I'm, I'm pretty wordy, right? And you'll all, you'll all see that if you've ever heard me ramble on before, you're going, oh yeah, he's, yeah, he's spitting the truth right now. If you've often, you know, ever read my blog or, or my tweets, you know, you, you, you know, I use every last character that's possibly there. And, and that was something else. Limiting my, my messages to 280 characters, that's quite a task. Those of you that are Twitter veterans that did it with the previous 140 character allotment, I don't know how you did it. Kudos to you, though. So like most people, I, I have various friends and, and loved ones and general acquaintances in you know, many different walks of life. And when I say that walks of life, it's a bit ironic now because that previously mundane task, or at least mundane to me, right? Something I took for granted that I could just get up and do. It, it can be quite a challenge now. And anyways, all those folks that I was speaking of there, they've got many different viewpoints and many different beliefs. And that's probably how we want things, right? Like, even though I'm all sure that we can, you know, agree that when there's a disagreement of some sort, ultimately I'm right. Just kidding. I'm, I'm mostly not, I'm sure. But anyways, how boring would it be, right? Like if everybody was just the same person, just a clone, no diversity, no diversity of opinion. I don't want that. We don't want that. I want people to be who they are all the time. And it's, it's taken a disease disrupting my life to get me to the point of vocalizing some of these thoughts. This journey has cost me so much invaluable currency of various forms freedom to do what I want when I want, because oftentimes I physically can't. Sometimes the emotional toll is too much. It's cost me independence. It's cost me many of the things that I love, running, playing sport, and now, well, let's not get carried away with the running part. I've never been a huge running fan, but I would like to get out there and run some sprints just to get some get some stuff off of my chest, you know, have a little bit of a, a release there, physical, component involved, get out on the basketball court, play some tennis, chase a golf ball around, something, anything active. I miss those things. One of the things that I miss so much is playing with my kids the way that I used to, being active, getting after it with them. And I miss my job. I was really passionate about it. I loved teaching teachers. I loved the team that I was working with. I, I really enjoyed every step along my professional journey. And since the early you know, stages of the symptom manifestation, the diagnostic process, I, I felt alone. Like I'm the only person going through a struggle like this. Nobody that I know, especially my age, is experiencing anything similar, at, at least that I know about. And again, I'm going on two years about now finding my, my diagnosis. And that's been the case ever since really. I have met some other folks that are in the rare disease community in a similar place, but especially early on, I was like Vincent Vega 
right? Of the confused Travolta fame where you walk in and your hands are out and you're looking around like, what, what, where is everybody? What, where, where are you yet? What am I missing? Right? Like, and, and I knew though, that even though I felt like the only one, I knew that couldn't be true. There has to be others. If not in the, you know, something is wreaking havoc on my body sense, then at least in the, this whole thing is messing with my mental health sense. And those mental health issues have been all too real as well. It was dark, like pitch black. Close your eyes, squeeze them as tight as you can in a room that's already dark with the lights off that dark. And it was a struggle and it sometimes still is. So at that point, I began kicking around the idea of making an account on the Twitter. And I mentioned I used to, to teach when I was teaching undergrads. I'd be sure to add the before Twitter for them. And they'd always just reply. It's just Twitter. You, you don't have to say the Twitter. Anyway, my thought was maybe the Twitter could be an avenue to turn my hopes of offering support, insight, advocacy, and help into action. And perhaps this would be an inroad to finding others who were aware of what it's like and we could support each other. So that was kind of the the overall vision. Yet there were some other thoughts and feelings and emotions that came in. So, you know, one thing that I felt like I wanted to clarify is like my friends and my family, they're great. They're wonderful. They're exceptional people. I'm incredibly thankful for them. And even though it's hard for me, I know I could make a request and any number of those people would be there for me. Yet it's still just so hard to do sometimes. So what did I do? I debated and I debated and I debated some more. So the, so the internal struggle, right? the process that I went to, if I make a Twitter account and search for other people who are in a similar situation and hope to connect with them on another level, am I turning my back on those who I know and love? Because that's you know, the last thing that I want to do, yet I also needed an outlet. I needed to communicate with, to hear from, to interact with people who are going through similar struggles. Now, in addition, if I can help somebody else, even one person through their journey of a rare and undiagnosed, a chronic disease or illness, it is worth it. So in my mind, at that point, I knew what I'd do. I decided I'd go for it, right? I'll make an account, I thought. It'll be great, I thought. I am all in, I thought. And then I took a while and it took a while more. And then when I finally fully committed to the idea, I, I felt about as confident as Tommy Callahan when he was trying to save his company in the movie Tommy Boy. And he says, I've got a plan. Yikes, right? His friend Richard says. And I felt that same way. Well, my plan finally kicked into gear the morning of July 27th, 2020. Very specific. And the only reason I'm able to nail down that date is because I jumped onto the social media that day. The old Twitter. This is how it started. I read a story from a local news outlet and it inspired me to act while simultaneously breaking my heart. There was a three-year-old girl here in the state that needed some rare genetic testing for a specific type of cancer. Now, I had recently received a different form of genetic testing to try to help understand on a deeper level what's going on in my body with my rare disease. And it had been a long, long journey for me to get to that point. So when I read this story, it hit pretty close to home in large part because of that journey. But I also have my own two sweet, beautiful kiddos at home. And I couldn't imagine being in the situation that those parents were in. I, I thought, man, they, they need this. They need the access to this testing. 
and maybe I could be of some assistance. I also thought maybe I was being a bit naive, but I wanted to give it a shot. So I attempted to remember the name of the genetic test that I received. And my memory bank, it was empty, which is not uncommon. I called my doctor's office, tried to explain the situation, see if they could help. But I figured that might take a while. And I can't believe it took me this long to figure it out. But I was like, oh, right. Why don't I just go to the test result paperwork and look at the name of the lab, right? <laughs> uh, so I put put the old two and two together like Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. And I used the Google machine to look up the lab. So the first mode of communication I saw was, yeah, you guessed it, an account on the Twitter. Now, I did end up using the old-fashioned telephonic communication device first, but no luck initially, right? I knew that time was of the essence for the family, though, so I was like, well, let's do it. Let's jump in. Social media, here we go. So the handle, at Rare Disease Dad, was born. And the first time I sent out a tweet, it was a pure shot in the dark. I tagged the lab, I tagged a local hospital, and I expressed my appreciation for the testing that was provided to me and linked to the story of this little three-year-old girl in my tweet and asked the lab and the hospital to help her and her family out. I had also made some calls, mentioned I thanked them for their calls, and I was hoping to hear back from them soon. Well, as it turns out, my work didn't do much good. My tweet got one like, no retweets, no response from those that I've tagged. And now, you know, being a little more of a, of a veteran of the Twitter, I know that's fairly common, right? In the Twitterverse, I, I get it. It's understandable. It's a vast place. There's a lot going on. Eventually, with assistance, I procured some resources and was able to send the information on. And if nothing else, I hope the family knows that the community will continue to rally around them and support them. And in that regard, I liked the idea of being a potential help to others. And I wondered how I could move things forward from there. So it's kind of like, okay, now I have this, this tool at my disposal, the social media, and I was curious about how I could leverage that. How could I use it? So I didn't really know what to do. But one thing that I did know was that I continued to miss so many other people in so many areas of my life, past and present. You know, I miss my friends, I miss my family, I miss my former students and colleagues from previous stops, and boy, what I wouldn't give to catch up with one of those groups of people, one of those people, one of those situations, one of those families that I had the pleasure of knowing and teaching and learning with and being with and loving. So it, it turns out that the Twitter can actually help you connect with people around the globe instantaneously. I don't know if you know this, this newfangled technology. Now that I have an account on Twitter, this reality has become both exciting and scary to me. Like, yikes, scary. Connecting with people that I know means opening up about myself. And we already talked about that, right? Not necessarily something that I would do. And many of the people that I'm talking about, or most of the people, don't know much about what I'm going through or anything about what I'm going through. So connecting with people I don't know and likely will never meet was intriguing to me. It seems weird, right? But I could be myself and let others see what I think and feel without as much fear of impending judgment. And in reality, I should be able to do that no matter who I'm in communication with, especially those that I know and love. But most times I'm just not that vulnerable. 
And I think another part of it is I just want to protect others because my pain can be their pain at times. And I hate that. So I started into the Twitter sphere, like my little cautious puppy who was kind of hiding out, shoving her face in between a couple seat cushions. She was a bit sheepish. She was open to communication and keeping an eye out, right? I kind of let little bits and pieces of me seep out there. And I, I, I suppose early on before I put my name on the Twitter account, if somebody really knew me and, and somehow stumbled across my path or, or made eye contact with me, right? See me in this virtual place, they could probably figure out it's me. And like my dog, I'd be wagging my tail. I'd be ready for connection. So initially, I had two, maybe three people who knew I jumped onto the Twitter after, after a little stretch there, but then that started to change a bit. I followed a friend of mine after seeing their account come across my feed. I liked a tweet, I was figuring out what that meant, that included another friend who was being recognized for her excellence in teaching. And with each one of these interactions that I had as I was tweeting with them, or I send out the tweet, my college students would say, you don't send out a tweet, you tweet. I was tweeting, but with each one of these interactions, I thought, hmm, there's, these people are going to have no idea who I am. At Rare Disease Dad, Dadvocate, a silhouette of two kids walking into the sunset at the beach. Like, who is this person? Could be anybody. They won't know me because of my attempt to hide behind the name Dadvocate. And don't get me wrong, I love that name. And my Twitter handle at Rare Disease Dad seems like a good fit, but it's not identifiable. So in each case, what happened when I would interact with these folks is I would send them a text at some point, let them know there's not some random person out there, a Twitter stalker who knows inside jokes from years ago, <laughs> that's privy to ideas that were cooked up last summer or, you know, attended to at their wedding a while back. Like that'd be kind of weird, right? You just get some random message. But how, who is this person? Why do they know this about me? And then I thought, man, well, I'm sending these texts. I'm tweeting with these people, like communicating, social media, the cat's out of the bag at this point. Maybe this is the beginning. So small handful of people that I know and that I care about know that the advocate is me. And then the question was, do I, do I keep it this way or do I take the next step? The next step would be that quintessential George Costanza dilemma where he says, worlds are colliding. And so that's where the grappling went at that point. And, um, you know, there's honestly still some times even to this day where I still grapple with that, you know, and I, I've gone kind of back and forth about this. I could make like a separate account for rare disease and one for everything else. And that might benefit all parties, right? Like the rare disease community wouldn't want to have to put up with my tweets about the Cubs or the 49ers or my Boise State Broncos. My friends and family might not want to know about my thoughts about, you know, what's happening currently in the world of rare disease, what advocacy and awareness week it is, what my ventures are in the world of insurance claims and shenanigans with durable medical equipment and tomfoolery with, you know, what it's like to have all of these invoices that keep piling up because I have to go to all these special, I mean, there's just, it's just never ending, right? Maybe that little clean break would be would be helpful. So there are probably folks in both groups that don't want to know my political opinions, what funny to me joke or meme or quote or movie scene popped into my head, or you know what my kids or my dogs are up to. Although to be fair, that last one would probably be the most lovable, popular, all-pleasing content that's available. However, 
all those things that I just mentioned are me. That's all of me. No one thing solely defines me, and that includes this rare disease that's now introduced itself to my life, quite rudely, I might add. I am a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a son, a brother, a nephew, an uncle, a cousin, a friend, a neighbor, an acquaintance, and now a Twitterer who happens to have a rare disease. This is not everything about me. This will not solely define me, yet it has become a big part of me. I cannot hide it. It cannot be ignored. Yet it doesn't take away from my love for the Chicago Cubs, right? It does mean that when I play baseball with my son, it's much differently than we do now. And when I'm pitching to my daughter, I got to really look out because that girl can swing it. You know, it doesn't take away from me being a big Boise State University alum or a former employee or a current fan or supporter, but it does mean that I might need to support the university and cheer on the teams differently than I have before. And that is hard for me, really hard. I love going to the games, haven't been able to do it for a long time. Even pre-pandemic when I would go and it was cold, it was not a good scenario for me. The cold and the heat are not my friend. It causes all sorts of trouble for me. I miss those days where my daughter and I would just go and hang out at the games. But now we can hang out at home. Now I can support the team in another way. And I can even tweet about it. You know, the, the disease and everything that surrounds it doesn't take away from my belief that people need to wear their masks and get vaccinated. It, it does mean that I support this necessity with a heightened awareness for myself and for others. This is a tough, difficult, challenging time for everybody. And it's been especially so for me with a corresponding respiratory disease that's come into play that has me on a heightened sense of awareness and my doctors as well for what this pandemic means for me. I know these are hot button issues, right? There's a lot that's going on with these things. And, and especially with some of those last points and others like it, I, I, I get these meta emotions that get in my way. You know, my feelings about my feelings. <laughs> And I love my feelings about my feelings, my meta emotions. Quick sidebar for a story. When I was in high school, I have a, I have a younger brother and um, his friend was over at our house quite often. So I was in high school. I come walking into the kitchen. His friend is sitting at the kitchen table. It's just him. My brother's not around. And I was like, hey, hey, Greg, what's up? What are you doing? And he's like intently focused, like eyebrows furrowed, deep, deep thought. And he like motions with his arm, like, leave me alone. Get away from me. And I'm like, are you, Craig, are you all right, buddy? Like, what's going on? He's like, ah, I'm thinking. Oh, well, it seems pretty serious. What are you thinking about? And he's like, I'm thinking about my thinking. <laughs> so that was my introduction to metacognition. And now I'm talking about my meta emotions. So right, end of the soapbox sidebar there. So I'm thinking about my meta emotions now, right? My feelings about my feelings. What happens when I say or like or retweet something on the Twitter that somebody doesn't agree with? What if somebody just doesn't believe the things that I'm sharing about my truths? This will happen, right? With, with people that I know and people that I don't know. For example, I started in on the Twitter. I was tweeting out some stuff about the Cubs. It was this unbelievable coincidence type situation. And when I'm talking about people that I don't know doubting me on Twitter, I'm looking straight at the dude who questioned my authenticity of one of my first baseball tweets. 
I'll give this guy credit for using a clever, and it was funny, I'll take things that didn't happen for 500 Jeopardy meme to refute my claim. But my daughter really didn't want to go to bed because she thought the Cubs might turn a triple play. And I really did send her to bed anyways, telling her, ah, oh, that's really rare. It never really happens. She went to bed. I turned the game off. Moments later, the Cubs pulled off the feet. And I found out about it on the Twitter. I apologized to her the next day. She gave me the look. We watched the highlight. I showed her what happened. <laughs> Oops, that was a dad fail. But this guy called me out for it. Take things that didn't happen for 500. So that's going to happen, right? Anyways, the point is I didn't want to alienate somebody. I also don't want to alienate myself. I want to stay true to myself. And it's a paradox as me looking like Larry David where he's just kind of, well, I don't, I don't know. And you can just see the the debate that's going on internally. Maybe you've seen this clip before where he's just struggling. Well, on one hand, I got this. Well, on the other, I don't know. It's tough. So these are a few reasons why this particular part of owning my story just might be my ultimate vulnerability up to a point. I felt like I should be able to be me and not be worried about what everybody else thinks. I'd love for those that I know and interact with via this medium. I'd, I'd love for those that I'm interacting with to know me, know that it's me. And then I still had questions tied to it. Will I still be myself? Will I still seek the support, the help I need? Will I provide the encouragement for others that I want to provide, like the tweets I want to, retweet the tweets I want to? Or will I be hampered knowing that I'm not kind of free to roam around as I might have before? And, and another part of the grappling was me wondering if this might cause more questions from others as well, right? Like wondering about the, the validity of my disease, my stance on certain things. Like, do, do you really get those symptoms? Is it really that bad? Do you really think wearing a mask will help? Why do you, you know, send such personal messages out to strangers? Why are you being so vulnerable at all, let alone on the internet, right? Like, why, why don't you just be quiet and be thankful what you have, stop complaining, those types of things. It's all like these internal struggles, these internal fears that I have. And when I think about these things, part of me is scared that somebody that I know and love is going to change their opinion of me afterwards. However, I ultimately landed on going to trust and hope that we can just move past those things. Because in spite of our differences, in spite of our varying viewpoints, I still love the people and the things that I love. And if by chance somebody doesn't agree with that and they decide they want to fire me into the sun, which is something I've discovered as a thing since I've come onto the Twitter, then so be it. And, and I don't mean to sound flippant with that. If it happens, it would be tough. You know, my feelings would be hurt. My heart would be crushed. I'm a sensitive guy. But what's the alternative? I could have kept hiding behind my anonymous Twitter feed like I had been, and that would be fine. I, I know and respect folks that I've come in contact who do the same. That's great. That's what works for them. I respect those who are in the same boat and decide to do that. It's a very personal, it's a very individual decision. And either way, it's respectable and completely understandable. But for me, I decided to, to roll with it and to go with at rare disease dad to go Go ahead and keep the Dadvocate moniker on there as well, but I, I put my name on it as well. And it's part of how I finally decided to move forward. And and I did so at the time in hopes that it would help someone else along the way. And it's time to own my story. And so that was a little bit about my advocacy journey and what brought me to this point. And in, in terms of kind of advancing things forward through Parents is Rare, this is kind of a next step in that iteration. This is what's next for me in my story. 
And I hope to continue to do this in terms of building a community where those of us that are parents who are working through a rare disease can connect, where we can support, where we can provide comfort, where we can be comforted, where we can support and be supported. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how this develops. I hope it's helpful. I know that it will be for me, and I hope that it is for others as well. So I look forward to continuing the journey and helping each other along the way, because as the wonderful Brené Brown says, owning our story and loving ourselves through the process is the bravest thing we'll ever do.